Some of you may be familiar uh, with the name of Seth Godin. Uh, Godin is an entrepreneur, New York Times best-selling author, uh, has been a part of a number of dot-com companies and, and other startup companies, and his books are, are wonderful, practical reads on management, um, business principles, and, and things, uh, things like that. I occasionally go and read his, his blog because it's typically uh, just a short posting and again, just, just very practical. And it's, it's kind of a way that, that I stay in tune as much as I can with pop culture. But a couple years ago, he, he wrote an article in his blog that really caught my attention. It's titled, Your Job Versus Your Project. L listen to what he says. Jobs are finite, specified, and something we get. Doing a job makes us defensive. It limits our thinking. The goal is to do just enough, not get in trouble, meet spec. When in doubt, seek deniability. Projects are open-ended, chosen, and ours. Working on a project opens the door to possibility. Projects are better about new frontiers, about making change happen. When in doubt, dare. Jobs demand meetings and the key word is better. Or excuse me, later. Projects encourage now. You get paid for a job or a project, or not. The pay isn't the point, the approach is. Some people don't have a project, only a job. That's a choice, and it's a shame. Some people work to turn their project into a job, getting them the worst of both. If all you've ever had is jobs, a habit that's encouraged starting in first grade. It's difficult to see just how easy it is to transform your work into a project. Welcome to the project world. Now there are a lot of things that we might take from Godin's blog post. The, the thing that, that I primarily hear him saying in, in this little... Uh, post, and, and, and I, I guess you can argue that, that maybe we're talking semantics here. I, I, I don't know. But what I hear him saying is, whatever we're doing, it's really about attitude, right? I mean, have you ever talked to someone who doesn't look at their job as a job? Know anybody like that? I mean, they, they enjoy going to work. They love what they do. I am married to a person like that. Lori loves what she does. She is in the process of completing a three-year project. She's been working with this young family who built a 22,000 square foot home. Let that sink in. 
It has a bowling alley on the second floor. But not one time have I ever heard Lori refer to that as a job. She loves it. It, it, it has kept, kept her very busy. It has been very demanding of her. But she loves what she does. Now, I, I have been, I've, I've been hesitant to ask her if she sees being married to me as more of a project or a job. You, you'll have to ask her about, about that one, okay? But, but if it's about attitude, okay, then, then have we reached a point, or do we often reach a point in our, in our Christianity, in our Christian lives, in our spiritual lives, that our faithfulness to God has, has become more of, of, a, of a job? I mean, it's, it's just something we, we kind of have to do. R- rather than, than approaching it, to use Godin's term, a project. It's a choice. It's, it's something to get excited about. It's, it's something that we dare to do. We, we've been talking about the prophet Jonah. And we have covered the first two uh, chapters in this uh, study. And we've referred to Jonah as the reluctant missionary. And we've been, been asking the question, have we been reluctant to be missionaries as well? And, and one of the things that we've already seen in this study is Jonah didn't have a right, the right attitude. And, and again, to kind of to use Godin's terms, his project from God had become a job. He didn't want to do it. And so he ran. And we, we have used his life, again, to, to challenge us and to encourage us to be, to be more willing to, to go to the people we have been called to and, and to share our faith and to take the message of Jesus that we have received to those who need hope in their lives. And we've been working our way uh, through Jonah, and I've been using a simple little outline, chapter 1, running from God, in which he protests his project. Chapter 2, last week, we we saw Jonah from uh, the belly of, of the great fish praying to God, and he's running to God. This morning we'll cover chapter 3 and we'll see uh, that his call, his commission, this this project of taking God's word to the city of Nineveh, the enemy. He's going to preach and he's going to run uh, with God. And then we'll conclude this study when we get to chapter 4 next week when he runs ahead of God and he pouts. Next week will be a fun lesson. Because haven't we all pouted a little bit, maybe? All right. But chapter 3. But before we get there, and I've already done all that, let me remind us what we learned last week. Okay, From chapter 2, when uh, God exercises discipline by allowing those pagan sailors to throw Jonah overboard, disobedience 
necessitates discipline. Jonah has disobeyed God. God came to him and said, I want you to go preach against the city of Nineveh. And Jonah went the other way. He gets on the boat in the city of Joppa, and he heads to Tarshish, wherever that was. It was the opposite direction from Nineveh. Discipline, though, resulted in deliverance. In chapter 2 last week, we read where Jonah remembers God. And God delivers him in that deliverance created the obligation of devotion. And most of chapter 2 is this, this prayer, this, this psalm of thanksgiving in which Jonah expresses to God his thankfulness for deliverance, for his own salvation in this circumstance. And he uh, acknowledges God as the source of his salvation. And so when we concluded last week, Jonah has been vomited out onto dry land. And we begin this morning uh, with chapter 3 and verse four, uh, 1, when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. All right? And so here in, in chapter 3, again, Jonah is uh, given another chance to go to Nineveh and to proclaim to that city the message that God gives to him. Chapter 3 divides itself into three uh, sections. Verses 1 through 3, uh, we have Jonah changing, and he is re-sent by God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. A couple of things from this, this first uh, section of chapter 3. God patiently gives Jonah uh, a second chance, and we'll come back uh, to that point in just uh, a few minutes. Verse 2, when, uh, when the text says, Go to the great city, literally begins with, Arise, go. T together they emphasize the immediacy of God's message. He's, he's saying, don't delay, don't wait, go now. And Jonah has learned his lesson. This time he does go uh, to Nineveh. Notice also this, this subtle change in God's commission to Jonah. Jump back very quickly to chapter 1 in verse 2 when Jonah received the first time this calling from God. He says to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now in chapter 3 verse 2 he said, God says to Jonah go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it. So we have preach against it versus proclaim to it. It changes, I believe, the, the nuance from condemnation to conversion. 
Just, just a little subtle change in what God called Jonah to do. And, and I, don't, I don't know all the reasons for this change. I, I, I suppose maybe initially God thought that Jonah would be more ready, uh, be more accepting of that calling if he could go to the city and preach against it, kind of condemn it, if you will. But having taught Jonah this lesson, and as he continues to change, uh, attempt to change Jonah's attitude in his heart, how he feels about the Ninevites, he, he tells, them, tells him to just go preach to them, to proclaim uh, to it. We're going to come back to this point uh, as well. Notice also uh, verse 3. I'm, I'm reading from the NIV this morning, and uh, I looked at probably 20 to 25 other English translations of this particular verse. And for the most part, all of them are the same, when it reads that Nineveh was a very large city. What is interesting, the word very there is literally Elohim, which is typically a name used for God. And so literally this text would be Nineveh to God, a great city. And I believe that's the best way to understand Elohim in this context rather than as a superlative, okay, with, with the word very. The text seems to be saying that Nineveh belongs to God. Nineveh is important to God. Again, a lesson that Jonah needed uh, to learn. God is concerned about Nineveh. He's concerned about their behavior. He's concerned about their destiny. Right? E even though they were outside of Israel in God's covenant relationship with his own uh, people. So verses 1 through 3, Jonah changes as this commission from God comes to him a second time and he is resent. Verses 4 through 9, Nineveh changes by repenting. Let's go back to the text. Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was, pro was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. God's message through Jonah is very, very simple. And, and literally in Hebrew, it's only five words 
Now, 40 days, Nineveh, overthrown. The word overthrown is uh, the same word that's applied uh, to Sodom uh, in Genesis 19, verses 25 through uh, 29. So it is a message of judgment. And it's, it's always interesting to me, this, this period of, of 40 days, right? We see it throughout uh, Scripture. Uh, uh, Noah, Genesis 7. Jacob's uh, embalming, Genesis uh, 50. Moses uh, in in Exodus 24, the 12 spies in Numbers uh, 13. In 1 Samuel 17, for 40 days, Goliath uh, taunted uh, the army of King Saul. Uh, Elijah spent 40 days uh, in the wilderness. Jesus, of course... Uh, 40 days in the wilderness, uh, and then 40 days after his, his resurrection. And so theologically, throughout Scripture, this is a significant time, a significant uh, period in the history uh, of Nineveh. And, and I think what God is saying to this city, your days are numbered, right? And so Jonah is, is sent uh, into uh, the city. And almost unbelievably, Nineveh believes God. Now, there might be some discussion, there might be some debate as to how much they really believed. Uh, History will tell us that they didn't all of a sudden uh, cease to to believe in a plural uh, pluralism of of deities. Uh, they, They continued to believe and worship Uh, other gods, but they were convicted by this message. They begin to fast, seeking uh, God's mercy, wearing sackcloth as a symbol of repentance, and God is moved. And so we come to uh, the very last verse, and God changes his mind and relents from destroying the city. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God reveals his divine desire. He is is true to his uh, unchallengeable nature, but he does change his mind because of Nineveh's repentance, and he relents from uh, destroying them. And the compassion of God is uh, powerfully displayed, even to the enemy. And when we get to chapter 4 next week, we're going to see that's why Jonah pouted. So, chapter 3, I want to suggest five lessons from verses 1 through 4 as, again, we we seek to overcome maybe our own reluctance in being missionaries of God. Uh, First of all, God is a God of second chance. And third chance, and fourth chance, and fifth chance. You know, one of the things that we've we've, uh, emphasized through this short series is God doesn't abandon us. And and even though we might fail, God hangs in there with us. Just as he did with Jonah, 
he will do with us as well. And, and I don't, I, you know, no one likes to fail, but, but through failure can, we can learn a lot. And, and, and Jonah is beginning to learn quite a bit. He's, he's going to learn even more next, next week, you know, when he uh, goes out uh, on, on outside the city walls and just kind of waits, and God continues to work on him. And uh, God does the same thing with us. When, when perhaps we fail or we're just simply inactive. Right? God continues to open doors, continues to be patient with us, and gives us another chance. Lesson two. Jonah should remind us of the urgency of the mission. Right? A sense of, of, of urgency in teaching others, in serving others, in proclaiming the message of Jesus uh, to others. You know, time just kind of rolls on, you know, one tick at a, at a time, and yet it never stops. And how many times have, have we reflected upon uh, some event or some time period in our lives, and we, we say, wow, how time flies, and I can't believe uh, this much time has, has already uh, passed, and it should encourage us to be more urgent with the mission and to make it more of a priority than perhaps uh, what it is. We exist, right, again, to make disciples. And, and numbers are important because numbers represent souls. And the, the longer it might take, the more souls we are in danger of losing. And so this sense of, of urgency that God places upon Jonah, he places upon us as well. Number three. We must build bridges rather than barriers. All right. I want to go back to verse 2. In, in just that little, that little subtle change from preaching against Nineveh to proclaiming to it. I, I see a, a, kind of a, a negative message versus more of a positive message. We, we kind of enjoy, don't we, pointing out the things that people have wrong, don't we? It, and we enjoy being right. We don't want to be wrong, right? But, but with, with being right often comes a, uh, an, an, an attitude of maybe superiority. I, I see some of that in, in Jonah, Okay? And, and so God changes, again, ever so subtle, teaching, teaching Jonah. We, we might put it this way, all right? Are, are we more known for what we're against or what we're for? Right? Something, to, something to think about. Right? And, and, and certainly, we need to point out error, okay? Please don't misunderstand me. But we need to do even that in a way that builds bridges, 
Not, not creating barriers. Right? Which leads us to number four. Just as Nineveh was important to God, so is Paris, Texas, the second largest Paris in the world. Even though we're second, we're important to God. In, in, in the city, our community should be important to us. Jared was in, uh, was in the office, uh, in my office the other day, and we were talking about some of these things. And, and for some reason, I, I thought of an article that occurred in the exhorter on March 2nd, 1986. And it was written by John Cannon. And it's simply titled, Paris, Texas. Paris, Texas seems to be in vogue these days. It's like our town has just been discovered even though we know it dates back to the early days of Texas statehood in the 1840s. Paris, Texas has received a lot of media traction in recent times. Personalities from Paris have drawn attention to our fair city. People like Raymond Berry, head coach of the New England Patriots, and Gene Stallings, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, now head coach of the St. Louis Cardinals. Gene Raider <laughs> brought some notoriety to Paris with his recent appearance on the Johnny Carson Show. Anybody remember that? Oh man, all of our TV sets were tuned in to see Gene uh, the jeweler. The film, Paris, Texas, was voted grand prize winner at the Keynes Film Festival in 1984. Paris, Texas has even been mentioned lately on two TV sitcoms, The Bob Newhart Show and Webster. I don't even remember Webster. I understand there is even a restaurant in Paris, France called, you guessed it, Paris, Texas. I cannot help but feel a sense of pride when our city receives recognition. But there is another side to Paris publicity besides football, TV, movies, and personalities. The greatest good in Paris, Texas can come through the C of C. And in parenthesis, John writes, and I do not mean the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> the ministry of the Lamar Avenue Church of Christ in Paris, Texas has far-reaching effects. For over 30 years, our sister city of Paris, France, has heard the gospel because of our support. For over 20 years, the gospel has been preached in South Africa because of our faithful support. Uh, Christians in southern Alabama have been assisted through our benevolence. Flood victims in West Virginia are thankful for the caring spirit of our church. Over 4,000 residents of our city still remember aid that they received through our relief efforts in the 1982 tornado. Each year, hundreds of hungry and helpless people are fed and clothed in our own community because we care. Paris, Texas may be well known for several reasons. I hope one of them will always be the church of Jesus Christ. 
May others be aware that Paris, Texas is a fine northeast Texas community where the Lord's church is alive and well and where Jesus Christ is being lifted up in the lives of faithful Christians. May we be known for preaching the gospel to northeast Texas in the world. May God help Paris, Texas be a city set on a hill. That was in 1986. And what John wrote in 1986 is still true today, right? I mean, this is where we live, okay? This is where God has placed us. And first and foremost, we are called to this city and to this community. And if it's important to God, it better be important to us. It better be important to us. Which brings us to number five. We must infiltrate the city, not isolate the church. We live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in a society that scares us. And, and maybe, maybe our first reaction is to get on a boat and sail to Tarshish. And, and it's very alarming at what's going on. As, as our culture uh, appears to move more and more away from just traditional Judeo-Christian values and, and, and ethics. And, and there is that temptation to just kind of bunker down and cocoon. But Jonah, that second chance, he goes into that city. Goes into it. And, and I think we get kind of a summary version of, of what happened. I don't, I don't know at what point in those 40 days. He doesn't appear to have made it 40 days. Maybe he only made it one day into the city and the repentance occurs. But the point is, he went into the city. And we must go into the city. And we do it two, we, two ways. We do it as individuals. And so we're involved in... PTO and PTA, and we're involved in other civic organizations, and uh, we, we try as best we can uh, to share our lives and to share our faith with the people that God brings uh, to us. And it's, it's, it's always, last night, Lori and I, before the parade, had to make a stop at, at Home Depot, and we're, we're looking around, we're looking around for someone to help us. And I thought, I know where I can go. I can go to the plumbing side because I know Ray is probably there. And where did I find Ray? He was up on top of one of those ladder carriage things helping a customer. And he didn't see me. And he's coming down with his arms full. And I said, don't jump. And he turns around and, and being a servant, being kind. We, we go to the parade. And, and coach is the grand marshal. I, I wondered how he did that when Alabama was playing in the SEC championship game. And I think he, he told me this morning he finally got to watch it about 2.30 in the morning, you know. 
but, but when, when we're out there, I mean, it encourages me. When, when I see members of this church infiltrating the city through their jobs or through any other means, right, to have an impact, to, to, be, to be what God calls us to be, salt and light. Right? But we can also do it as a congregation, right, and, and, and collectively, you know, being, being involved in the community. And, and there might be any number of ways. Maybe a float next year in the Christmas parade. I mean, if, if other churches can do that, why aren't we doing that? God, they need to see us. Right? In, in, in other ways that, that we can get into the city and, and not be so isolated and, and live out our faith in ways in which those barriers are broken. And folks, let's be honest. There have been barriers. So some, of it, some of it our attitude, our fault, some not. Okay? But, but let's do something about the things that we can change. And, and let's, man, let's, let's infiltrate. All right? Let's, let's take advantage of every opportunity, whether it's as an individual or collectively as a church, to impact this city. Light is no good unless it's on. And salt is no good unless it's on the fries, right? And so we got to get out of the shaker and infiltrate this city and infiltrate this community. And I don't know, Jared T-shirts, L-A-C-C, you know, however way that we can let this community know that God loves them and so do we. And Paris is important uh, to God, and Paris is important to us. And we serve, and we love, and we live out our faith among a culture and a people, right? That doesn't always have a lot of hope. There's a lot of despair out there. May God use us to make a difference. And, and so maybe, maybe, maybe it's just that little change from our Christianity and our faithfulness being not so much a job, something we have to do, to, to a project that we dare to do and that we can get excited about and we can think outside the box and we can dream big and be what God has called us to be. We sang just a few minutes ago, is he calling me? Well, let me, let me answer that for you in case you haven't answered it. Yes, he is. And, and that stirring that I hope you're feeling, it's God calling and God wanting us to get to work. Let's stand and sing.